welcome to episode one of Strung Out, a Violin Maker's Vlogcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the minor services and repairs you can perform yourself, as well as some of the perils and pitfalls of attempting more major repairs either at home or at a general music shop instead of a specific violin repair person. Now, the four most common minor services requested of me are cleaning and polishing, re-uprighting a fallen bridge, adjusting a fallen sound post, and peg fitment issues. So we're going to discuss all four in that order. So first of all, cleaning and polishing are two entirely separate creatures. Uh, cleaning is just removing unwanted deposits from on top of your varnish. Usually that's rosin, dead skin cells, and skin oils. And occasionally those little fabric fluffies from the inside of cheap violin cases. Whereas polishing is actually either buffing down the existing varnish so it's back to a shine, or applying an additional coat of either varnish or polish in order to wind up with a nice shiny instrument. So cleaning is something that's very easily done at home, in fact, which I would recommend you do at home so you don't have to you know, pay out the butt to have someone like me do it for you. Um, all you need is a soft microfiber cloth. I recommend the ones that are a little more fleece-like instead of the ones that have little terry cloth loops, because the little loops can be a bit hard on the varnish. And once every five or seven practice sessions or so, you can just give it a quick wipe underneath the strings between the top of the bridge and the bottom of the fingerboard, and a little wipe between the bottom of the bridge and the tailpiece. And this should remove most of the rosin for you uh, once every maybe two to three months. You may want to very slightly dampen your uh, microfiber cloth. And when I say slightly, I don't mean like soak it and then wring it out. I mean it should be humid more than it is damp. Um, you really don't want to get your violin bridge wet because it's unfinished and will therefore warp pretty quickly. And you don't want to repeatedly get water in the F-holes because it'll eventually either bust out the base bar or eat through the uh, hide glue seam connecting the ribs and the back blade. So that's something you do every five to seven practices or so. And then with a damp cloth, maybe once every two or three months. Um, polishing, on the other hand, is something you should absolutely get someone like me to do. Um, until the late 90s or so, there was a trend in violin polishing called French polishing, which is where more or less they would take a very dilute shellac, a little bit of mineral oil, soak it in a cloth, and rub it into the back, which would build a very thin layer of shellac up on top of the varnish. Now, that's not an issue in and of itself. The problem is once you do that 10 or 15 times, you wind up with a thicker coat of shellac than you have oil varnish. And shellac is a fairly inflexible finish, so eventually it ends up dampening the vibrational properties of the top and back plate, which means you end up with a muted, very, very bright-sounding violin. Um, it's also just a nightmare in terms of long-term value of the instrument, because sooner or later you'll have, you know, two or three restore restorers sitting in a room, you know, sort of chipping away at the shellac buildup on your violin, so it's finally back to what the original maker had envisioned. Um, but with a proper polish from an adequate repair person, uh, we'll basically assess the type of varnish that's already on the instrument and then plan a course of attack for that. Um, for oil varnishes such as this, um, I'll usually use a wax or oil-based polish on top of it. In fact, I make my own that comes in these little white bottles that I always throw in with my violin purchases. So if you buy a violin for me, you get one of these. Uh, this is a combination of tongue oil, olive oil, and palm or carnauba wax which is basically the safest possible violin polish, because if you end up with too much of a buildup, you can wipe it back down with a slightly dampened cloth. Um, and with spirit-finished violins, or spirit-varnished violins, you can still do the French polish finish, because it's more or less the same as the finish that's already on there. Or you can simply scuff it down very lightly with some very fine steel wool or boar hair, and then bring it back up to a shine with a bit of hand buffing and uh, terry cloth. Now, the second most common issue I face is fallen bridges, which means uh, basically 
either when you're tuning up a new set of strings or when you're tuning up your existing set of strings after a long period of disuse, your bridge will begin to tip back towards the fingerboard and then eventually it'll fall completely and fall out. A lot of people are afraid to address this because A, they're either afraid of putting the bridge where it doesn't belong, which affects the entire intonation of the instrument, or B, that keeping the bridge off of it for too long is going to cause their sound post to fall. Because there's the misconception that as soon as there's no more tension on the top of the violin, your sound post is a goner. And that's not the case with a properly fitted sound post. Um, with a properly fitted sound post, after two or three days without top plate tension, it'll probably end up wobbling and tipping over. But a few hours, maybe even a day, should not be an issue if it's properly fitted. But with most decently constructed violins and with an adequate soft oil varnish, you actually end up with marring of the finish where the feet of the bridge were. So it's a very good indicator of where your bridge should go when you're re-uprighting it, which means, generally speaking, on an adequate quality instrument, you can do it yourself at home. If there is no marring of the finish, the actual leading edge of the bridge, so the flat side towards the tailpiece, should be just about perfectly aligned with the little notches in the F-holes. So as long as you upright it fairly quickly, you really don't have to worry about the sound post falling. Now on the other hand, if your sound post does fall, you need a specialized tool called the sound post setter. At one end, there's a blade that skewers the sound post. You can get it in through the F-hole and get it at least crudely upright in the desired position below the bridge. On the other end, there's a little star-shaped hammer which you use to sort of nudge the sound post so it's perfectly upright from both planes. So in addition to the actual cost of the sound post setter, which for a decent quality one can be 60 or $80, uprighting a sound post into the correct position in a violin, just below the treble side foot of the bridge, is an incredibly knacky procedure. Uh, your first 20 or 30 or 100 attempts are going to be at least a little bit off. Because of that, I would recommend for fallen sound posts, you go see a violin repair person. Now another major issue is peg fitment, especially here in southern Ontario with such tremendous humidity swings. What will happen quite often is either A, you'll end up with swelling of the pegs or the shaft of the pegs, so I'll end up clicking and sticking and being very difficult to tune your strings up, or you'll end up with swelling of the peg box, which is going to slightly enlarge the holes and your pegs just won't grip enough to be able to hold the string at tension. Um, for either of those, you're going to need a peg reamer and a peg shaver, which again is a cost expenditure that's really not worthwhile for most players, amateur or professional. Now, a decent short-term solution for sticky pegs is to take a product called Peg Dope, Peg Lube, or Peg Paste, and apply it to the points of the peg shaft that contact the sides of the peg box. You want to be a little more liberal on the side closest to the actual head of the peg, and a little more conservative on the side closest to the end of the peg, but it should allow at least some freedom of movement. Now, if you don't have Peg Lube, Peg Paste, or Peg Dope, you can actually use graphite from a pencil to act as a lubricant on the same points of the peg. Now, unfortunately, peg doping is only a short-term solution. You will eventually and inevitably need either your peg shaved, which is a minor repair, $40, $50, where they actually reduce the diameter of your pegs in order to improve fitment, or you'll need your peg holes bushed, which is where they add wood to the uh, holes in the peg box to reduce the diameter overall. Once that's done, you also need a fresh set of pegs fitted, which is referred to as a full peg fitment, which might be anywhere from $250 to $500, depending on who the maker is and the quality materials that they're using. In fact, I found overwhelmingly getting your peg shaved every two or three years does wonders in terms of putting off the need to have a full peg fitment done every 10 or so. My recommendation overall would be to bring your violin into a violin maker or violin repair person and have them just give it a quick once-over once a year or so. Uh, that way they can sprout any potential problems before they manifest, and address any minor problems where they have a chance to compound into major problems. And the reason I recommend going only to a violin repair person or a violin maker is because I've heard so many nightmares of people bringing their violin family instruments into general music shops, 
and getting back something that's either unplayable or that quickly becomes unplayable. In fact, one of my favorite sort of tragic stories about this is I've got a friend who's a violinist, not classically trained, but still a very competent player, um, who brought her violin into a general music repair shop. In fact, it was a franchise of Canada's largest music store chain. So you probably know who that is if you're from here. And she didn't realize, as a lot of players don't actually, that the bridge is only held upright by string tension. So her bridge had fallen after she'd swapped out her E string, which is something that happens semi-frequently. And she brought it into Canada's largest music store chain and went, hey, can you glue that back up for me? So the repair person who works primarily with guitars and who sort of, I assume, presumed that it's got strings, it's the same. It's not. Brought it back into the little workroom at the uh, store and very fastidiously glued the bridge upright to the top of the violin. Now, I don't think he did it out of a place of malice. I don't think he did it with any deliberate ill intent. I think it was just a place of naivete and, and sort of wanting to do what he could for the customer. So I don't, I don't fault him at all for that. The issue is that now as the bridge begins to cup, which is an inevitability in southern Ontario with our tremendous humidity swings, and which is something we're going to explain in a brief moment, as the bridge begins to cup, you're now going to have to carve it off of the top in order to maintain the varnish and then try to scrape off whatever's left of the bridge feet that's been glued down without taking entire gouges out of the top wood of the violin. So instead of being, you know, maybe $150 for fitting a new bridge five years down the line, you're now looking at probably four or 500 for fitting a new bridge because of basically someone cutting corners and doing what they're told instead of doing what's strictly correct. That's just one of many stories I've heard of things like that happening in general music repair shops. So ideally, the tailpiece side of the bridge, or the side of the bridge that faces the tailpiece, will meet the top of the violin at a 90 degree angle. The fingerboard side of the bridge is tapered in slightly, so you'll have slightly greater than a 90 degree angle. I usually aim for about 107 degrees, but it really is up to the maker and whoever does your setup. As humidity enacts its magic powers onto the bridge, and as string tension continues to apply a downward force on it, you wind up with the tailpiece side of the bridge cupping forward into a bit of a C-shape, and obviously, because there's only so much material to work with, the fingerboard side of the bridge will do the same. So you wind up with a very sharp forward-leaning bend towards the tailpiece, which not only greatly increases the risk of the bridge snapping under string tension, but also increases the risk of your bridge falling towards the tailpiece. So because of that, you do want to get your serviced and, and at least ensure that it's straight and in adequate position as often as possible. Once a year is pretty ideal in southern Ontario. Um, I usually recommend getting it done right at the end of the winter, where it's going to be basically as dry as it's going to get for the year. Um, but you can really have it done any time, and a competent violin maker will really know what they're doing and be able to accommodate that. So unfortunately, minor repairs and servicing are an inevitability of owning an instrument, or almost anything worthwhile, really. But you can stave off the need for major expensive repairs by taking a lot of little steps along the way. Cleaning your violin is going to do wonders in terms of staving off the need for polishing. Using peg dope or peg lubricant is going to do wonders in terms of allowing you to keep your violin in tune over the course of practices and performances. Minor services along the way, once a year, once every two years, something like that, is going to almost entirely eliminate the need for expensive repairs. So what I want you to do is I want you to go home, I want you to cradle your instrument, tell it you love it, and rock it like the baby that it is. You have a great day.